This is SG2 Perspectives, a conversation with SG2 experts and industry thought leaders about the biggest trends in healthcare and what we expect that's going to mean for the future of healthcare delivery. Our experience has been that you really need to get your hospital-based campus programming right first, because then that informs the number and type of ambulatory sites and the services in those sites that you need to have around the hospital facilities. And it helps you understand how they need to be arrayed to best draw patients from the surrounding market. Welcome to SG2 Perspectives. I am your host, Trevor Durin. And today I asked one of our consulting principals, Michael Lutkis, to share some of the tough questions he's been getting from members because Mike, the tenor of questions I've heard from you and your team in the last three to six months has changed scope from what we'd been hearing. They've gotten bigger scope knowing that the scale of change that health systems are going to need in the near and midterm is really big and broad. And even though we've been tackling big, hairy projects like this for 10, 20 years, at least the gist I got from you was systems are getting really serious and thinking about, we're going to need to get all the hurdles and roadblocks out of the way to actually be able to implement this stuff because we're looking at a margin situation today and a near-term forecast that says we cannot just stay status quo with a couple little tweaks around the edges. We're going to have to look dramatically different in three or five years if we want to be successful. As you can imagine, Mike and I had a long discussion back and forth about how interesting some of this stuff was. And I said, great, you got to just come on and do it on a podcast. Michael, without further ado, what are some of those questions that you're getting from health systems that perks up your ears that like, wow, they're thinking about care redesign at a huge scale right now. The challenges and the fallout from the pandemic has created the first year, or at least 2021, with all the federal subsidies, glossed over a lot of the inefficiencies that were across the healthcare system. And 2022 was a year in which hospital systems really across the board struggled financially. It caused health systems to get serious about truly restructuring their operations to create a more sustainable platform for smart future growth. A lot of what we've been working on with health systems and the questions we've been getting is not just the question of how do we sustain our operations moving forward, but how do we restructure ourselves? What's the right strategy? Aside from just improving operations, how do we need to rethink the way in which we provide services across our system clinically? How do we redistribute clinical care so that we can be more resource effective. Many of you probably are familiar with the SG2 system of care curve or diagram, the continuum of care. One of the parts about that that I think is a bit of a hidden genius is the fact that care is capitalized, right? It's an acronym. And what it actually stands for is clinical alignment and resource effectiveness. If I were to say, what are health systems worried about today? It really is captured in that four-letter acronym. They are looking to align internally within their system clinically so that they can be more effective with their resources, whether those are human resources, which we know was a big cause of the financial burden that folks were under competing for human talent, physical assets, facilities, and equipment. But at the end of the day, what we're really talking about is money, this being a resource to the system. What you're seeing here is that systems are trying to take a more comprehensive ecosystem approach to this, realizing that to really make the changes that they need to, it's not a minor tweak here and an adjustment there. It's really and truly thinking about how they rewire the system and restructure where care is delivered so that they can have smart, sustainable growth into the future. 
there are very few systems and maybe none who can get out of their current predicament and improve their financials solely through growth in the market. So in other words, there are very few growth markets today. I could name a couple of them, but for the majority of the country, a lot of markets aren't growing. But I think the opposite is also true. Cutting yourself to profitability is not a viable strategy for systems as well. It's that more nuanced approach to being big where you're at. And if you're a healthcare system, maybe you can't be given the current reimbursement structures and cost constraints and resource constraints. You really can't be everything to all people. That's the hardest part about strategy is selecting what not to do. That's really the intersection of a lot of what we're working on today is right in that space of deselecting and prioritizing and then allocating resources accordingly. And as hard as those projects are from our perspective as outsiders, it's way, way harder for them to implement internally because all that deselection means people, places, customers, relationships. Do you have a framework for how you tackle these huge scale projects and the things that you usually try to make sure are included, the constraints you're going to have to work around, things you look for that you can red flag to health systems like this may be a hurdle, this may be a big rock in the way. There's no question that this is a big change management exercise, which I realize is a bit of a challenge for many healthcare systems, given the complexities of the billing system and cost accounting. But provided you have good data, you could probably sit down and relatively easily determine how to move the chess pieces around on the board. The challenge here, though, is that there are people on the other end of these decisions. There's inertia, there's history, there's baggage, there's emotional aspects to all of this as well. As we think about our approach, of course, you need to have the right stakeholders involved and generally speaking speaking, it's at top levels of the organization to really create the working assumptions, the guiding principles that need to be the filter through which all system strategy kind of flows. What we try to do in these types of projects is break it down to the extent we can into bite-sized chunks and really simplify. And so it all really starts with essentially taking an inventory of the assets or the resources that a system has. That's staffing, that's technology, that's facilities, and that's programming. We help them through a process whereby, first of all, get to a simplified understanding of where they have a comprehensive slate of services, maybe a more intermediate slate of services, and maybe a more foundational slate of services, and then decide if that current asset configuration is the right one for the future, or if they need to set themselves up for a different future blueprint to be successful. What we found is a lot of health systems have acquired hospitals over the years, and for a variety of reasons, maybe they haven't right-sized the care in those facilities and eliminated duplication and overlap of resources and assets. What we find is that helping to bring some of those issues and items to the fore is important, but part and parcel of that is the old way of doing business where there's a focus on business units and hospitals as business units and hospital-based P&Ls that dictate how decisions are made and, quite frankly, which represent barriers to achieving systemness. Mike, are any of the health systems you've worked with or have you seen those that have been successful? And maybe this isn't a successful strategy, but is the hospital CEO role in opposition to the idea of systemness? I haven't really seen any systems who've gone away from that. It's such an important operational point. It's important for the folks working at that facility. How have systems tried to build an org structure that allows them to focus on being a system? 
Yeah, I think that's right. And I don't know that there's a one-size-fits-all solution to the org structure. What you find is that there's been a lot of creep in org structures over time, especially if you're in a system that's growing. You've got new facilities, new business entities that come to the fore. You acquire facilities over the years. Taking a look at the operating model is critically important. As we think about operating models, a lot of systems are going toward campus administrators or COOs rather than hospital presidents, which puts those folks more in a purely operational role. That's really good. Thanks. Give me a couple examples of how this has played out. Give us the context. How have a few systems actually tried to tackle this work? What's gotten in the way? What's worked well? Every story, every hospital client is its own unique story. Systems over time grow opportunistically. So you grow when the opportunities present themselves in the market. Everything doesn't expand at perfectly the right time and at the right size. It takes a lot of organizational courage to tackle some of these issues. I was working with about a $6 billion health system. It's an academic health system. So they have a large academic medical center, approximately 700 beds, 12 community hospitals, a couple of which are critical access hospitals. When you look at their assets, it goes all the way from one of the top academic medical centers in the country to a small critical access hospital. And they undertook this exercise we called system of care redesign. We looked across seven different service lines. We helped them inventory their services, understand where they are today. We also then pulled in, of course, financial data, but also clinical data, quality data and outcomes data. and went through an exercise where we essentially assessed which clinical services should be consolidated versus distributed for a certain subset of high-risk procedures. There is a volume to quality relationship that's pretty clear in the data, and we were able to use some of our Vizient clinical database data to demonstrate that. So we helped the health system identify opportunities for consolidation, and this system was no different. Community hospitals were averaging 50 to 60% occupancy, which is low and challenging to operate them at a profit, whereas the main medical center was just bursting at the seams. We also employed really a portfolio of strategies to try to help repatriate some of the lower and moderate case mix index medical patients to the community setting, which some of that is moving patients after the fact, after they present to the academic medical center. But there's a longer term strategy to keep these patients stabilized in the communities and honestly out of the inpatient setting altogether. In this particular instance, I can think of a particular county in the area surrounding the academic institution where there were roughly 21 patients a day that fell into that low or moderate case mix index category that did not need the resources of the academic medical center that came from that outlying county, but were in the hospital, were in the main house. You could look at it on paper and say, oh, wow, yeah, they cut back. They're offering that service in fewer sites of care that even though a service might be offered in fewer sites, that doesn't necessarily mean that you can provide less care to patients. These efforts are not always successful because this is pretty complicated. We were working with a health system that had mentioned that they had tried to do this before within their health system. They basically said, well, we got some low-hanging fruit. We moved some services here, we moved some services there, but we're still operating four open-heart programs. We still have a low annual birth OB unit that's averaging 300 or 400 births per year, they were under the old model where they had hospital-based P&Ls. What they found was there were a lot of challenges trying to get their hospital presidents on the same page and to essentially agree to trading services between facilities. You can imagine general managers on baseball teams negotiating a trade. They didn't have the burning platform to totally uproot and upend a program and work that through with the local board. And there wasn't that strong impetus to do something different and design to manage through that upheaval. 
really tough work. I think you're going to have some long, complicated projects this fall and next year, but I'm really looking forward to seeing how you guys map out a course for systems to get over some of those hurdles and implement effectively because I think systems are hungrier now for it. There's a burning platform for more of them now than there has been. Trevor, we haven't even talked about the ambulatory environment. The place to start, as we've discovered, is on the hospital campus, both inpatient, outpatient services, but on the hospital campus, because that's where resources are concentrated. But in most systems, when you look at the ambulatory environment and the sheer number of rooftops in the ambulatory environment, the aggregation of all of the ambulatory sites may actually be comparable to or even larger than those sites that are on inpatient campuses. Our experience has been that you really need to get your hospital-based campus programming right first, because then that informs the number and type of ambulatory sites and the services in those sites that you need to have around the hospital facilities. And it helps you understand how they need to be arrayed to best draw patients from the surrounding market. It hasn't been easy, but we're still actually working with them today to take the next step and go further into their services on the hospital campuses and and hoping then to move on to the ambulatory setting once we've completed this next phase of work with them. It can be really rewarding work. And you know what, Mike? A few years ago when we interviewed Corn Ferry about what systems were looking for in new CEOs, at the time, they said there had been a trend of clinical leaders moving into COO roles. That was continuing, but not really accelerating. It was about scale. It was, you needed someone who had oversight over a system in similar complexity to the one they were moving into. And that made sense at the time. It was 2021. Systems had a bunch of ventures, pieces, partnerships, et cetera. They were extremely complicated and hard to think of, well, this person was a CEO of a smaller system, and now we're going to give them a bump up to this bigger system. They needed someone who had experience in that scale. I could see a year or two from now, it being more about not just having the scale, but doing the tough stuff and making deselection decisions. That's what systems are going to be looking for in leaders and experience. Those are going to be the operational examples we point to of really great, strong organizations, those that made tough decisions, hopefully not just enjoyable for your team and us, but the teams at our health systems view it as just part of being a leader today. What I find is that there's a sweet spot and a smaller system that's maybe on the periphery of a large urban market that hasn't been involved in the arms race to gobble up assets, but maybe has their main hospital and a couple other very strategic acquisitions they've made over the years. Those systems actually are doing best financially and might be best positioned to grow in the future because they haven't overextended themselves at this particular point. But yet they have enough scale to really function as a system while also being nimble with their decision-making. And at some level, that's actually what both smaller systems and larger systems are aspiring to be. The smaller systems are aspiring to get scale so that they can maintain independence. Mike, thanks as always for sharing your perspective. Um, For our listeners, you can see how passionate and excited Mike is. This is what it's like when you bump into Mike in the hallways or at an event. He's always got a fun story to tell. He's always great about trying to weave the pieces together. So I'm excited that you got to hear his passion and excitement today. And Mike, thanks for sharing your perspective as always. Thanks, Trevor. Looking forward to the challenges in the years to come. Thanks for listening. If you like this episode, please subscribe, rate, and review us and or follow us on Twitter and LinkedIn at SG2Healthcare. 
And if you want to talk more about innovative healthcare strategies, you can always email me at sg2perspectives at sg2.com. Finally, SG2 is a Vizient company, and there are a bunch of Vizient podcasts that you might like. You can find them at Vizient backslash podcasts. Have a great day.